And so when I took that journey back, did that reflection back, I was like, okay, what I've been experiencing that I've called stigma or referred to as stigma personally was shame. Mm. But I had to make the decision, what am I going to do about it now? Mm. Like, oh my God, I'm tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I going to do about it yeah. now? Yeah. Uh huh. So I had to make the choice to use it to empower. Right. I had to make the choice that this was going to empower my voice mm. moving forward. But it wasn't until that moment that I named a thing a thing. You know, yeah. I didn't understand what I was. I didn't care to understand what I was experiencing. I just kept pushing it away, mm-hmm. pushing it down. Before we jump into this episode, I want to invite you to join the What the F community to hear even more conversations that will make you laugh, cry and feel more connected. All I'm asking you to do is click on that subscribe button that's right on your screen. I love your support, and it is so inspiring and amazing to see all of your comments. Thank you so much for subscribing. It means the world. Here we go. Hey, guys. Welcome to What the F. It is my privilege, honor, and joy to introduce today's guest. Before we get started, though, I really want to thank SK Life Science and Norales for believing in What the F, for supporting What the F, and for making conversations like this possible. B. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Oh, well, so for those of you who aren't aware, Bernice Martin-Lee is the CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation of America, which is just, you are such a shining beacon in our world right now. That is so kind. It is so true. And just so the audience gets an idea of how impressive your career is, because it's not only this career, but all of the careers you've had, uh, beginning in education, holding leadership roles in management and development, and then for the last 10 years, being in healthcare, holding senior roles, including the American Red Cross, and as of July 2023, the new CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation of America. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. I am just so excited about this conversation. <laughs> me too, me too. Yes. And so before we get started, because what I think is so, so many people appreciate, including myself, obviously, is just your candor in being a person living with epilepsy, being a CEO, and of the EFA, and just being so honest and talking about stigma in particular. Absolutely. And I really want to dive into that. And But before, I want to just ask you the question I ask all my guests is, what does your epilepsy journey look like? What has it looked like? When did it start? And where do you feel like pivots were made or changes were made for you? Thanks for the question. You know, I had my first seizure at 19. And... Like most people, I was I woke up in an ambulance because I was in college, had it on my way to my sacred scriptures course final. On a, to a final? To a final. Oh. And of course I was that person who had stayed it was my sophomore year, I'd stayed up all night studying, drank that awful jolt pop that used to be on the market. <laughs> yeah. And I was walking to class. I thought I just had a little bit of a headache. Mm-hmm. And I woke up in the ambulance not knowing what happened and um, with a lot of friends and faculty a little freaked out. Mm-hmm. But I, when I arrived at the hospital, the ER, you know, they said it was stress. Um, I was probably just exhausted. The jolt pop didn't help, over-caffeinated. And, you know, I, I was like, okay, you know, I want to go back to my life. Okay. And there was no, like, follow-up 
or nothing. Okay. Nothing. It was like, okay, oh, just this is a one-time thing. It'll probably never happen again. Interesting. Um, so about six months later, it was Easter Sunday. Wow. These are like significant days. Yeah. yeah. I, and I was walking. I mean, I was home with my family. Um, I'm from a, a large African-American family, right? So I, I'm painting the picture of me and my six siblings as well as my 11 aunts and uncles and their families um, at my at my house where, where my grandmother lived with us. And um, most people who come from large family understand that, like, I was up that morning helping my grandmother snap peas. Mm. I had been out with my sisters the night before. I had been to Sunday school and church, and now I was home with my family, and at the dinner table had a seizure. It's so interesting because, like, Right when you tell that story now, it just sounds like, like a cocktail or for a seizure. <laughs> right, right, right. I know now. Right, right. right All exactly. the triggers were present. Yes, it makes so much sense in <laughs> retrospect after you learn. But like when, right. yeah, but you're just going about your life. You're yeah, this is this 19, is what we do. Yeah, yeah like you know, uh, having you know used to being up and out and you know not getting much sleep and and doing yeah. the most. Yeah, right. Um, but I had a seizure at the dinner table and my mother and aunt were nurses and immediately were like, we know what this is. This is a seizure. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I woke up to my grandmother putting holy water in my face. Oh, yes. Did that cure the epilepsy? No, it did oh, not. no. It did okay. Not. I mean, um, no, I'm not trying to, it was yeah, still no, a it, sweet but, thought, you but know, I was yeah. Like, what is yeah. going on? Like, <laughs> Like, I'm like, why is my face yeah. wet? Um, and, you know, went to the hospital. Um, and luckily, because someone had witnessed it and knew what it was, they were able to better describe it when we arrived at the ER. Isn't that the crazy thing that you need as a yes. witness? Because you don't know. No. You don't know what happened. No, but there's so many times where, like, because I lived alone for so long mm -hmm. when I, well, yeah, until recently, you know, and so I, it was just me. Yeah. To describe my seizures. And it was kind of like, then you get questioned a little bit more yes. if you don't have a witness. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, of course, my family became my biggest advocate. But again, we were told that it probably wasn't anything to worry about. After the second one? After the second seizure. Because there wasn't quite a, wasn't a concrete diagnosis of a seizure after the first one. Okay. Right? And so they're like, well... Let's wait and see. Mm -hmm. So literally it took me about five seizures until I was diagnosed with epilepsy. Five? Yes, because unfortunately I was living in, you know, my parents were living in one city. I was living in another. So this was before the days of my chart. So getting information back sure. and forth between healthcare systems was difficult. Yeah. So again, you're going in and describing this has happened to me before. This is when it's happened. Mm -hmm. But there are, you know, as we all have experienced, there's a lot of skepticism when people describe their seizures. Mm -hmm. Isn't that weird? It's, it's very weird. Because right? it's like, if you say I have the flu, no one's like, I don't, I don't believe you. Or if you say <laughs> like, I'm having chest pain. Right. Oh, let's rush right. you back. Right. right? Yes. Let's get you seen immediately. Let's mm -hmm. get you follow up. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until... Almost the age of 21 that I was actually diagnosed with epilepsy. Yeah. And I began to see a neurologist. Um, and at this time, I'm teaching 
Um, and I was put on a medication that was just not good for me. And I went to my then neurologist and I didn't have advocacy words to describe it, mm -hmm. but all I could tell him is that this isn't working for me. I was sleeping anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day. Oh, wow. And again, trying to teach school. Yeah. Which um, as a former teacher myself, like <laughs> I look back and I'm like, if I had epilepsy as a teacher, not a chance. And so, like, you know, I'm like negotiating this, like, I know this can't go on forever. Mm -hmm. I can't continue the schedule. And his response to me was, well, is the medication working? I was like, well, he's like, have you had any seizures? I was like, no, I haven't. He's like, well, the medication is working. I don't see a need to change it. But your options are that you can go on long-term disability because epilepsy is categorized as a disability. And I was like, well, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, so those are your time, options? Right. Like at this time, I'm, you know, barely 22. I'm like, got my whole life ahead of me. And I'm like, what does this mean for me? What is, is this what this diagnosis means for me? Right. And he uh, put the cherry on top by saying to me, as I'm sure you're on other types of assistance. What? Yeah. And that's when we talk oh. about health equity. Yeah. Right. And biased. And again, I was, you know, from a generation where it was, you know, listen to your physician. Mm -hmm. Your physician is you is always right. Um, and went home and again talked to my support system, talked to my family, and was like, "Is this what my life is going to look like?" Mm. That's a and, tough moment. And what does that mean? Yeah. Right. And my aunt said, well, let's get a second opinion. God know. bless like, the people who say that. And and she didn't, I don't think she used the word second opinion. She was just like, let's just talk to somebody else. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was the blessing of having people who were in healthcare for 30 years as a nurse, right? Yep. That they had their own network. They had, <laughs> yeah. their, they had the backdoor <laughs> channels, right? Um, that I benefited from. So I went and I um, met with a new neurologist and he absolutely changed my life oh. because he was like, let's figure this out. Mm -hmm. he, he talked to me about journaling my seizures. Wow. He talked to me about management of my seizure disorder mm -hmm. and epilepsy. Like lifestyle management? Lifestyle management, but also understanding what it was. Because when I was first diagnosed, I think like many, I was given a pamphlet and some medication and sent about my way. Yeah, I hear right? that a lot. And I missed the pamphlet, though. I didn't even get the pamphlet. <laughs> You're like, they didn't even give me that. <laughs> and this is, you know, kind of dating myself. This was before the internet, right? So it's not like I could just go home and Google WebMD and find well, out. Well, that right? doesn't help. Let me tell right? you. No, everything leads then, to... <laughs> yeah. then it just means you're dying tomorrow. Right, exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. But this neurologist really worked with me. Um, and... Through that, I understood that I had cyclical seizures um, that were based on a hormonal change, you know, a drop in estrogen each month. And therefore, I was able to prepare for it and understand it. And That's so huge. It was so huge for me because I, mean, I finally felt like I could understand what was going on with me. Mm -hmm. Right. It wasn't this mysterious thing of like, when is it going to happen? Yep. Why is it happening? And so I was really, really grateful to have found him. And it really opened my eyes to um, the ability to partner with a physician around your diagnosis. Oh, can we pa 
partner with a civilian. Well, if I can get it right, (laughs) (laughs) epilepsy moment when you can't say the word. (laughs) Partner with a physician. Yes. I love that partnering. Yes. Not just like, it almost sometimes feels like whatever you say. Yes. You know? Yes. But the partnership is huge. Well, we know that clinicians get about 13 minutes in a consultation. Mm -hmm. And not being unfair to clinicians because that is what their clinics demand. Right. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. Um, But in that 13 minutes, as you as you go through all the questions, sometimes you forget to ask your questions. Yeah. And then you walk out the door and you're like, Mm -hmm. I should have. I could have. I started keeping a notebook. Yes. Would walk in and just like, and so I have a notebook of all my questions. And then I'm just at the end, I'm like, can I ask these questions? You yes. know, and I'm very lucky. I have a neurologist. She's like, oh, this is my favorite part of our appointment. What are your questions? Yeah, you know, yeah. so she, I, again, it's about partnering with a neurologist that is open to things like that. Yeah, and, yeah. and my neurologist would be like, bring your journal. Let's oh, go through yeah. it. Write any notes in your journal on that day or after that day that you may have questions about. Mm-hmm. And so it gave me permission to have that conversation openly with him. And as you said, even in that very short consultation, he always made time to have the conversation. I love that. And like I said, I was very, very grateful. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the doctors that are usually running late. Yes. Which I'm okay with. I have waited long. I will sit in the waiting room. I will sit there. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the worst feeling is feeling like you were rushed through it. Yes. Totally. Like what? Like I have questions, like you walk out and you, you're like, I had an appointment. <laughs> I don't know if I'm any clearer. Right. Yeah. An idea when I walked in. <laughs> right. Totally. And then, you know, you're six months out until your next appointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I guess I'll figure it out in six months. Right. Right. I don't know. Exactly. It's <laughs> like, well, I, I guess I'll get yeah. on the internet and start looking for yeah. my own answers. <laughs> You know, plugging epilepsy.com to do that. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, resource. But it's it's important that we empower individuals living with epilepsy and their families to to do, to look for a partner mm-hmm. in their diagnosis and yes. to expect that. Yes. That should be the standard of care mm-hmm. that we should expect. But we understand our clinicians are, are having a really tough time of it because their clinics are packed. Yeah. Right. We recognize that the Epilepsy Foundation, you know, our population is our population in the epilepsy community is growing much faster than the rate of neurology, neurologists, graduating neurologists. Oh, yeah. So the demand is getting higher. Wow. And that the makes, supply is getting lower. Yeah. That makes so much I just personally that makes sense when mm-hmm. it's like you try to get an appointment and it's like uh, what's your availability in 2028? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Like, I can squeeze you in yeah. in July of 2024 right. if you're able to come at 8.15. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I'm, I have epilepsy. I can't get anywhere right. at 8.15. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, so, so, you know, I'm so happy that you were able to find a neurologist to partner with, kind of yeah. figure this thing out. I mean, as much as best you could. Um, and then, you know, you have such an impressive career. You are literally the person that I was like Googling for when mm. I was diagnosed at 32, because I was trying to find anyone with epilepsy yeah. that had a professional career. And I, I, and I found like a few celebrities that didn't talk about it. And I was like, well, that's not really what I'm looking for, you right. know, but you are kind of like that, 
the person that we've all like, we're like, okay, we can do it. We can do things. We can not just things, we can have these amazing careers, but I'm just curious as to what that looked like for you with epilepsy, having this amazing career and what, and, you know, and kind of turning the conversation now to stigma yeah, and the stigma that, um, you know, if you felt that in the workplace or what your experience was like with that or what you personally did, you know, to kind of maybe dodge the stigma as much as possible. Absolutely. I experienced stigma from the word go. Because <laughs> remember, I had my first seizure in the middle of the quad on a college campus. Mm -hmm. So then there were questions about, should I even be on campus? Mm. Was I a risk? Wow. Right. Wow, um, that had to hit it, hard. And, you know, my doctor was like, you know, the, the ER was like, oh, no, it'll never happen again. It was so rare, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that I had to go through that process with the university, um, I was like, well, this could never happen again because I don't want the negative of this happening. Yeah, but not being kicked off campus yeah. or, you know. Yeah, having. Which you know, does happen to yeah, people. Yes, I, Even as of last year. I yes. know someone yes, who me too. Lo yeah, lost, lost their scholarship. And, and so that was my, my first encounter with stigma, mm. right? Um, and then I was working at an organization that actually specializes, specialized in helping individuals, particularly children, uh, with severe learning disabilities, mm. which many had epilepsy as a comorbidity. I had a seizure at work, and you would think this is a population that would be very understanding of my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, and the craziest part is I had this seizure because I had swine flu, of all things. Oh, God. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, how did I catch swine flu? For what it's worth, right. I had it too. <laughs> When I was like, teaching at the time, I got everything when I was, was a teacher. Like working in a school. Right, exactly. I mean, like, yeah, you're all, you're like pink eye every year, yes. you know. Just, pink eye forever. Yeah. Like, just don't even disclose pink eye anymore. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, what's wrong with trying? They're just red. Yeah. Like, we don't even talk about it because I'll be out of school for the rest of the, you know, like, if I talk about pink eye. But I had a seizure, um, was rushed to the hospital, and you know, met with my physician, with my neurologist, and he was, and, and my general practitioner, and they conferred and was like, okay, she has the swine flu. It reduced her level of medication. We know why this happened, mm -hmm. right? We know this was a breakthrough seizure. We mm -hmm. know how to correct it. Didn't feel the need to suspend my license because, again, there was a reason that this breakthrough seizure had happened. Well, I get back to get back to campus and was pulled in and told that I could no longer drive on property mm. because just I on property because I was considered a risk. Ooh, okay, um, and a liability for the institution. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Well, the state of Pennsylvania said I'm perfectly okay. <laughs> right. right. As right. well as the physicians who are in charge of my care. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I had to park across the street. Oh, my God. And walk over to campus. So it's like a daily reminder. Well, and then like all of my colleagues. 
why are you parking over there? Oh, wow. All my the students, why are you parking over there? Oh, God. And so the need to have to tell people over and over again what the situation was, mm-hmm. right? And... And that's a, that's like a lengthy explanation too, because you're like, well, I had a seizure. The state of Pennsylvania says I'm fine, <laughs> but this place says I'm not. And so, like, what are you? So like, I got to park over there. Yeah. And it just every day walking in that building, I felt it. Mm. Every day I got out of my car and had to walk across that street, I felt it. Mm-hmm. And I was. I became, like most people, angry about it. I don't blame you. Because I didn't, I was like, well, can I fight this? Is it worth fighting? Do I have time and energy and space? Yeah, to fight it? Like there's, yeah, yeah. It's all the things. Well, I lose my job if I fight it. Well, I, yeah. I was just angry about it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to express that anger. And I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. So I just had to suck it up Mm. and keep it pushing, right? But I learned after that, that if I was experiencing an aura, anywhere to close a door and lay on the floor and not tell a soul. Wow. That is so heartbreaking. Because what I had internalized was disclosing means subtraction. Oh, disclosing means subtraction. That, that resonates real hard because I feel like a lot of us apply that to not just the workplace, but to kind of any aspect of our lives. You know, all of a sudden you, it's like an, now that I've disclosed, I have to prove myself extra. I have to go above and beyond because now I've just taken something away from my Mm self-worth internally. Mm -hmm. And obviously I don't think you and I actually believe that, but it is something that we feel. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And that's what I equated to that experience is that if I disclose, it could mean subtraction. Hmm. So I'm going to choose not to do that any longer. Mm-hmm. And so as I moved through my career, I was very, very cautious about who I told, particularly in the workplace, about my diagnoses. Mm-hmm. And I had some wonderful managers that I could trust that were, I don't want to say sympathetic, but empathetic and gave me the grace and the dignity to be able to say to them, hey, I'm not coming in today. Mm. You know, I'm experiencing an aura. Mm -hmm. Which is so Mm -hmm. hard Mm -hmm. to do. Oh, absolutely. And you know how you sit there with the phone and you're like, Am I going to call? What am I going to say? Well, I could just say my kids are sick. Yep. I could just say. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could just like, and I, you know, I could just say I have COVID. I could just say, like, like, (laughs) I got the flu. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, because it's hard to say, especially with the aura part, because it's hard to say, like, I feel like I might have a seizure. That is the hardest way to like cancel a meeting or not show up to work or anything. Cause it's like, so some, there were a few times like when I was working my um, job at a firm where they were so wonderful and really understanding. But even so I'd just be like, I had a seizure and I didn't, but I felt like I was going to. And it was just like the safeguard where I was like, that just had warrants a little bit more. I don't have to talk through it. Boom. Yep. 
Like, what's an aura? What does that look? What right. does it sound like? What are you? What happens? Right. And you're like, oh, I just don't want to have this conversation. Yeah. Right now. Or when yeah. you wake up in the morning and you know you've experienced a seizure overnight, and you wake mm -hmm. up postictal, mm -hmm. right? And you're like, okay, I I'm not ready. Yeah. Right, to face the world, I got to get myself together. Oh. Right. Yeah. That that for me that takes days. An oh. overnight seizure is oh. like it is like I have pushed a truck and run a marathon simultaneously Yes, and it just takes days. And you sleep, you're like, all I can do is lay in this bed and sleep. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. all I can do. Yep. And I just remember having to make those calls and it just being, you know, such trepidation, even with trusted managers mm. and trusted leaders. I'm mm. like, well, do I want to tell them this today? Yeah, I get it. Even even with the people that are trusted and that are kind and that are mm -hmm. understanding about it, you still just like, oh, but I don't want to look like I can't do my job right. or you can't count on I me. I don't want this to feel like an excuse. Yeah, totally. Yep. Like, are they going to think that I'm using this as an excuse to get out of my work mm -hmm. or to not come in mm -hmm. today? Mm -hmm. Right. And you don't want to be seen as that that person in the workplace. Mm hmm. And I would take on extra projects just to oh. just to try and prove myself. Oh, absolutely. And then I and then probably have seizures from taking on the extra projects. I and, myself. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, when I was with the Red Cross, I was a deployed fundraiser. And so I was deployed into disaster areas. Mm. Um, and QMA, stress already on high. I was just gonna say, like that's right. stress already on high. That's right? such an admirable job. And like just saying it, I just feel the stress. Like I just remember one time I was you know, in the early days of like map, what I think it was the early days of Google Maps. Mm. I um, was in Virginia, there was a hurricane coming. I was making sure the shelters were set up, making sure our donors were supporting those shelters. And my GPS, you know, I don't know where I'm going. I'm in Virginia, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. I ended up on a ferry in the middle of a hurricane. What? No. <laughs> like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what is going on? Because it was just like, drive forward. Like, is that a boat? Am I about to get on a boat? Looks right? like it. Like, looks like it. Just wanted a good angle of the so hurricane. Like, That's okay, all. Calm down. Bring yeah. it together. Seriously. Stay calm. Seriously. But in those moments, um, you know, high stress, uh, long hours, my family began to worry in those those moments mm. because it was like, well, are you going to tell the people around you just in case? Yeah. And I'd be like, no, I'm not because I'm in a stressful situation. I don't want people to think that I can't handle the work. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, and, that, you know, I yeah. was so blessed that I, I never experienced a seizure in those situations. But I think about now how unfair that was to my family. Mm. Why? Because they were, con you know, I was okay, but they were worried. Mm -hmm. And then knowing that no one around me knew. Knew or knew so, what to do. Right. Or, so what mm -hmm. if something happens? Mm -hmm. You know, what if you're laying somewhere and experiencing a seizure or you're postictal and no one knows? Yeah. And I was just like, nope, I'm good. I'll figure it out. This is my job. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to think less of me. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm leading fundraising efforts for people who I felt like were in great need. Right. Yep. And I'm like, that comes first. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like that perspective, right? You're mm-hmm. like, well, what I'm dealing with is nothing. What right. these people have. Lost their homes. Yeah. Right. And they need, they need my help. Right. You know? And, but like, it's just one of those things where I retrospect and you're like, oops. Yes. I'm sorry. Cause I've done that too. There's so many times where I've been in situations where like, I'm like, I'm not telling anyone about this, right? you know, like I'm going to go travel alone <laughs> and not tell anyone. Nothing. And yeah. And now I wear like a sun, a sunflower lanyard, which means you have an invisible disability. I like show it to the flight attendants and, you know, and they're generally very kind about it, you know, yeah. and all those things. But, you know, even just, uh, but before I was just like, no, 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 just, just be quiet. Just, just keep it push to yourself. Through. Push through. Push through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's what we do. Yes. It's like, oh, my aura is here. But if I could just get this done. Oh God. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> I, I, or ignore Like I would be like, oh, that was like my sign to hurry up and do what I needed to do. Right. <laughs> Hurry up. Like, Brain's actually saying the opposite, <laughs> but I'm just going to disregard that little message. Right. Appreciate you. I'm going to cook dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, that's smart. <laughs> yeah. like, that's really smart. I need some open flames right. and some knives, <laughs> kitchen knives around. Yeah. Far floor. Yeah. Corners. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just stand here and cook this. Make sure I get the spaghetti on the table. Right. <laughs> Because that's more important. That's more important. Yes, absolutely. Or let me hurry up and get my kids to to their prospective practices. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is not smart. Mm-hmm. What am I doing? Um, but again, not wanting to seem unreliable, not wanting to seem incompetent, mm-hmm. not wanting to seem that you're not dependable mm-hmm. in situations. And I, I, I will say I am so guilty of that. So guilty of that. It's an interesting choice of word. Guilty of Mm -hmm. it, you know, because I feel like that's very much associated with Mm -hmm. stigma. Yes. And um, just like, you know, because sometimes we even internalize the stigma. Yes. And it's, and and I'm going to quote you because I've heard you say this before. It's kind of like our own shame sometimes. Absolutely. It took me this journey. Um, in interviewing for this position to be actually able to name it. Wow. I, uh, so when I was being recruited, the recruiter called me and um, I felt like I immediately had been outed. Interesting. Like, I was like, yeah. well, you, right. why, are you, why are you calling me? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> What's this really about? Right, right, right. And when she um, told me who had referred me it was a good friend of mine colleague and I was like hey why would you why would you do that like yeah I'm working in healthcare and I had not disclosed at work wow so um, working in healthcare and I worked at a trauma not, one center yeah again high stress mm-hmm. and um I worked with the team for all the right reasons because of the field we worked in were overly cautious so I knew if I disclosed, 
like the president was gonna be like where's your action we need everything we mm -hmm. they were just overly cautious and mm -hmm. i didn't want to bring that attention to myself mm -hmm. in that way yeah and they were incredible people right they were incredible people mm -hmm. and i hindsight could have trusted them with this information right but yeah. i was like nope i don't want to feel like i am the weak link of this very strong and high functioning team mm -hmm. i think that's very common for us feeling mm -hmm. like the worried about feeling with the weak link, weak link or the burden yes or you know the one that needs special care or something and it's just like no just like everyone else no no I'm keep yeah you know i'm, I'm I, I can do this job mm -hmm. i can do it at a very high level and um when i talked to my girlfriend i was like you thinking <laughs> and she was like hey you know you've been working in the health equity space for a while mm -hmm. and i really believe that this is a way to use your lived experience to talk about health equity for those living with epilepsy and she was right mm -hmm. she was absolutely right when i thought about it i was like she's right and through the process i'm really glad she saw that yeah and i, I mean very thankful sometimes it takes like our friends you know, our trusted acquaintances to have that outside sort of perspective that we can't always see. Yes. You know, kind of like when you're talking about your family being like, does anyone else know? You're like, oh, fine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> of course not. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Right. Yeah. So I think it is nice when we get those like very authentic people in our lives who have that good vantage point. Yes. You know? I would agree. And through this process, meeting with the board of directors for the Epilepsy Foundation, it was the first time that I was able to disclose and people understood. Hmm. And I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was being judged mm -hmm. for it. No, if anything, they're probably like, thank God. <laughs> I mean, and I'm sorry, but, to, yeah. but it is true. Like when I, when I found out we had a CEO was living with epilepsy, I was like, oh my God, it's someone who really gets it. And not that, I'm not trying to take anything yes, away absolutely. from anyone I, I else. I get it. The lived experience, right? No one it else brings can. brings an ethos to the, to the position, yes. right? Um, but during that journey of interviewing, and I remember right before they were announcing the, um, that I received the role, I, I was a mess. Why? Because I was like, oh, well, everyone's gonna know. Oh. And how, you know, I was like, I don't wanna be, I don't want it to be my only story. I don't want this to be what my career has been about. I, I had all of these emotions. Yeah. And in reflection, I sat with myself and I was like, what am I really experiencing in this moment? Like, if I have to name what I'm experiencing, what is it? And the word shame. Hmm. I was experiencing shame. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And when I took when I took the look back on where that shame started, unfortunately, it started with my family. Mm. Very unintentionally. It happens. Um, yeah. My grandmother, who I'm named after, my namesake, and we were very, very close. And she was always very, very proud of me. When she began to whisper to others like, well, she has fits. Oh. She has spells. Oh, we don't like those words. We don't like those words. No. But what it indicated to me was something was wrong with me. Mm. Yeah. And that she was ashamed mm. of me. Right? 
Mm-hmm. Very, and again, this is my beloved grandmother. Right. And I know she loved me dearly. Mm-hmm. But also, given our culture, she thought that this was some type of ancestral curse. Mm. And that somehow she had, our family had done something to cause this for me. Oh, so it's like maybe her guilt yes. and shame, yes. like kind of infiltrating. Yes, absolutely. Wow. And this was a deeply held belief in our culture, mm-hmm. right? And unfortunately, that still exists in many cultures. Yeah. Yes. Right. It's still today. I mean, still like today. you're a living absolutely. example. Like there are so many examples out there of people who still deal with this mm-hmm. across the world. Yes. Yeah. And so when I took that journey back and did that reflection back, I was like, okay. What I've been experiencing that I've called stigma or referred to as stigma personally with shame. That is a, whew, that's like a moment where you just, I can't imagine what it was like, because right now I'm just like, okay, sitting with that. And like, it's like an empowering and also there's, it's just a very mixed emotion sort of revelation. Very much so. Yeah. And, and, but I had to make the decision, what am I going to do about it now? Like, oh my God, I'm tearing up. <laughs> like, what am I going to do about it yeah, now? Yeah, uh-huh. So I had to make the choice to use it to empower, right? I had to make the choice that this was going to empower my voice mm. moving forward. But it wasn't until that moment that I named a thing a thing. You know, yeah. I didn't understand what I was, I didn't care to understand what I was experiencing. I just kept pushing it away, mm-hmm. pushing it down, pushing mm-hmm. it, like we said, this need to achieve, yep. this need to thrive, mm-hmm. right? And then I was like, no, I'm experiencing shame. Yeah. And, it, and I also inadvertently placed that shame on my children and my husband. What do you mean? Um, I asked them not to disclose. Oh, so it's kind of, yeah, wow. So it's just, because you're just showing this thread Mm-hmm. It's very tiny thread mm-hmm. just like wove its way from family to family unintentionally. Unintentionally. So I remember hearing my husband, you know, when I had experienced a seizure or, you know, I was just having one of the days where I was having an aura that, and I just needed to lay down. Mm-hmm. Um, if we had to be somewhere or do something, he would be like, well, she has, she has a migraine. Because somehow a migraine was much more acceptable. Oh, yeah. Much more acceptable. Oh, way, way more acceptable. <laughs> you can have a migraine. Yes. And, and people have empathy. Oh, yeah. And they're oh, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. Here's some Gatorade. Wait. You know, like. Yeah. Give her some Pedialyte. <laughs> yeah. um, but I had placed that shame on him that he couldn't mm-hmm. be honest in conversation about what was happening with me. Mm-hmm. Um, my son, uh who is now 19, we, we, we laugh about it all the time. You know, he had fully embraced in emergencies call 911. Like that lesson in school was not lost on him. <laughs> you know, because I was like, no one could know, no yeah. one can know what's going on. If I would experience a seizure, it was like, no, do not call 911, do not, mm-hmm. right? Well, the little one would sneak off and call 911. And we'd be like sitting on the couch, I'm post-dictal, and all of a sudden we hear these sirens. Because <laughs> oh, no. he wouldn't even tell us he called 911, <laughs> right? Just There's call. something so endearing <laughs> about this, like even though like, 
I, like if were, I'd be like, you seriously, I'd be so mad. <laughs> right, okay. But now I'm like, that's really like, sweet. Well. Yeah. And to the point, my husband was like, you know, unfortunately, he was like, I have to check on you, but then be like, where is Maxwell? <laughs> yeah. like, like, where is he at? What's like, stay on? right here. Yeah. Do not leave my sight. And he said he would ask him, like, do you not trust me? <laughs> like, 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 I'm not going to let anything happen to your mother. Right. And my son was like, well, they at, at school, they said emergency. Yeah, he's listening. He's <laughs> listening to his teachers. Right, yeah. like, supersedes whatever you're saying. He's like, I do this all the time, guys. Yes. <laughs> and, but also, I think back on that and taking this role, had I been able to teach my family seizure first aid and seizure recognition, it would have calmed that fear in my son. Sure. Because he would have known what to do. Yeah. It was the fear of not knowing what to do and not understanding what was happening. And also, I take onus on that because I didn't take the time to sit him down and help him understand what my diagnosis meant. Mm -hmm. Because, again, I didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. I didn't want to disclose. Mommy's great. Mommy's fine. Mommy's not going to miss a beat. Right. Well, I imagine as a parent, that's yeah. kind of what you want. Yeah. You want them to know that you're reliable, you're trustworthy. Right. You don't have to worry about me. I worry about you. Right. I think about that too, like just with my, um, you know, nieces and nephews. Right. And like, like, what would that conversation even look like? You know, because I don't want to scare them. But if something were to happen in front of them, you know, it's, I think it's just something that. It's a balancing act. Yeah. It's a balancing act. And, you know, it. As I looked back on all of those experiences, I recognized the shame, right? And how I was passing that on to my family mm -hmm. um, because it became the secret mm -hmm. that I was asking everybody to keep, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it's, it's actually so refreshing. Even before coming here last night, you know, my husband said, I'm just so glad we can talk about this. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad we can talk about this because what I had inadvertently did was tell him, you don't, you can't talk about it either. Yeah. Right. I'm not talking about right. it. You can't talk yeah. about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I think for individuals living with epilepsy, you know, we carry this with us. Um, and until you reach that moment of empowerment, Right. And some of us get there much sooner than others. For me, it was decades, yeah. unfortunately. And I really want to take my role and my position and help others get to that place of empowerment faster. Well, you're already doing it. You really are. I appreciate that. Yes. I mean, really, if that's the if that's what I give back to this community, that will be enough for me. Mm. Although I want to do much more, but yeah. that will be enough. It's yeah. just to empower people to say that you don't have to live with the shame. Mm -hmm. And you can use that to empower yourself to tell your story and yeah. to have those conversations as we begin to, one, demystify what is epilepsy, mm -hmm. right? I always tell people, if there's anything I could do, I would go to Hollywood and tell people, if you characterize a demonic possession as a clonic tonic seizure, mm -hmm. one more time. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, one more time with all these special effects you can't be more creative yeah. <laughs> like, seriously <laughs> like, it has to be a clonic tonic seizure right 
Because <laughs> it, 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 it furthers the myth. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And I just, and I think the more we talk about it, the more we have these open dialogues. I'm so grateful for your podcast. Thank you. To be able to talk about it mm-hmm. so that we can normalize epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Right. And not just for, and it really, because the podcast is for, to create a touchstone mm-hmm. for people living with epilepsy, for caretakers, for people who have friends with epilepsy. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, also to your point, like for maybe people who are just like, oh, I heard a coworker had, the, what are they going through? What's it yeah. like? You know, just kind of, yes, just putting the experience But you out offer there. that empowerment. Oh, thank you. To our population, right? To our demographic, because knowing that it's okay to talk about it mm-hmm. and to talk about the funny things, yeah. the awkward <laughs> things. The, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, things. yeah. Like, oh, let me finish making the spaghetti. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yep. Yep. Let me finish this PowerPoint. And then. <laughs> like, this okay. just means I need to do it faster. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so how, I mean, because it's, it's only been about, you know, six, seven months now. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just curious, where are you at then, like, with the shame now? Because, I mean, we're talking, like, like this is a big emotional drain yeah. for you. I can't imagine, because you're so open, so candid, so um, vulnerable in sharing your experience. Where are you at now? Is it something where you're like, oh, it's gone, no more? Or is it kind of like you still feel the little... It's still hard. Yeah. It's still hard. Um, About a month ago, I was doing a Zoom call with our donors, um, giving them an Very important people. (laughs) Yeah. Doing an update, plans for the future. And I was in D.C., and I had been on the road for a couple of days mm. and we were at our advocacy office and there was no water. Mm. No, what? There was no water. What? Like I was like, and I was like scrounging, like, <laughs> where's the water? Can I get some water? And I was like drinking cocoa and coffee and diet Coke. Like, but there was the no antithesis water. antithesis of right, water. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and by the time I got to, the, to that call, it was the very end of the day. Oh, my brain's already done at the end yeah, of the and day. And I had yeah. a very early start that morning mm-hmm. with our partners at AWS. And so I was already tired. Mm-hmm. Now I'm dehydrated. Yep. I'm over-caffeinated. Mm-hmm. Just stirring been, the pot. Because <laughs> I'm like, I got to put something in. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I just got to drink something. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't practice good self-care. Mm-hmm. I should have walked to the nearest convenience store got a couple bottles of water mm-hmm. i didn't yeah because trying to get a powerpoint done i get right. it right yeah got calls get, i gotta yeah, take right got things i gotta do yeah and i get on this call and i began to notice that my speech pattern was changing mm. isn't that such a weird moment oh like i was pulling for words yeah when that word retrieval is just even harder than normal and and, and i was stuttering mm. Um, and I was like, okay. And I've been seizure free since 2015. First of all, congratulations. Thank that you. is awesome. And mm-hmm. yes, because uh, we know, too. yeah, we know it can, it can, you know, resurface at any moment. But I was like, I'm not feeling right. 
and I'm noticing the speech change. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, like I'm in a Zoom call having a conversation like you and I are having with the presenter and I'm thinking, what did she just say? Oh, I hate that moment. Yes. What? what? Like, Uh so now I'm distracted by, I know I don't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, what do I do? Do I push through? Right. Because even though you're in this space, you're the, in the Epilepsy Foundation of America, but it's still that. I'm the CEO. Yeah. I want to prove that I can do this. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I talked about empowering people to use their voice and to help people understand this is my moment. This is when I have to practice what I preach. And I said to my donors, you know, I'm just not. I'm not having a good day today. And I apologize, but I'm having some I'm having some difficulty today and I hope that you'll bear with me. Mm-hmm. And there was dead silence on the Ooh, call. Oh god. <laughs> 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 like, oh, this is a nice run. <laughs> right, like, well, uh, <laughs> nice being here when I can yeah. as long as I have. Um and it there was an awkward moment with the you know with my presenting partner she was like she didn't know where to go with the conversation mm-hmm. um and we continued but i had made that disclosure like if you're if you're feeling like i'm not quite on my game today mm-hmm. i want to tell you that i'm not mm-hmm. right i'm not on my game today i'm it having some such difficulty. courage to say that i'm you know i'm experiencing some dehydration and mm-hmm. fatigue and mm-hmm. it's it's catching up with me mm-hmm. And, you know, I got off that call and boy, I sat there and I was like, oh, I cannot believe this happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what's the, what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. Who's going to call my board and be like, hey, I was just on a call <laughs> <laughs> with your new CEO. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, mm. got some questions. And this is the part too, where it's like, you're like, why didn't I get water? Right. And you start, yes. you're so mad at yourself. You're like, oh, like, and even though like, Seizures are not our fault, right? They're our responsibility. They're not our fault, though. And it's just that, like, you know, you kind of go back and forth then just being. And I and I didn't have a seizure. Um, but I think I became so nervous mm. that I might. Yeah. Right? I became very nervous. Well, you had the tell signs of. And I'm like, okay, yeah. what's my next step? What's mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and my colleague was sitting across the hall. And it was just. It just so happens we had done our hill briefing the, a couple of weeks before, and she had met my sister and um, another family member, and they told her, please take care of her for us. Aww. And so when I went across the hall and I said to her, hey, um, I'm not really feeling well, and, and she was like, well, her, your sister's, your sister, your family told me, <laughs> take care of you, right? <laughs> and it was great to have her as a support at that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand, and, you know, we cracked a couple of jokes, and it made me feel a little better. But the following day, I got a couple of emails from some donors that were on the call, and they said, thank you for being honest. Thank you for being transparent. I've experienced this. And I appreciate you being honest about it. So you were empowering those people on the call too. And I think they were just like, yes, someone else who is going through what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Someone else who is 
understands how difficult this is Mm -hmm. when you are put in a position where you feel like you have to perform and then your diagnoses plays a part in that. Yep. Yep. Wow. I mean, that's just so amazing just because like not only the fact that you did it, but then, and in that scary moment with the silence, that's all I can think about is like, <laughs> right. oh right. but then Anyone. the people, it, it, you know, even, even in that small meeting, it made other people feel seen. Yeah. By just with that transparency, with that honesty, with that self-care. And it was, I mean, when I tell you that whole night, the flight back home, I was like ruminating. Mm. Should I have said it? Should mm-hmm. I not have said it? Should mm-hmm. I said it differently? Mm-hmm. Should I have just like got off the call? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my internet slipped. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. What happened? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I have a migraine. <laughs> I get right. <laughs> and um, that's the first time I've experienced it recently. Mm. And, you know, I sympathize and empathize with people who we have to make that decision making that has to happen in that moment Mm -hmm. when you're in the workplace Mm. or a social gathering. Mm -hmm. And we've all experienced it. Yep. It's really fun on a date. (sighs) I mean, engaged now, so it's okay. Yeah. But wow, was that fun. Tell me. Oh, God. Oh God. Cause you know, all of a sudden I just start staring off, you know, and, um, embarrassing my date and, you know, just, he feels very embarrassed because he doesn't know what to do. And, yeah. And it's not his fault. I didn't tell him what to do. You know, my son and nine one one. be glad he didn't get that, take that message that my son. <laughs> no, seriously. Right. Yeah. Seriously. Those guys just like get an Uber and send her home. Like, right. I was like, fine. It's exactly what I wanted. that decision making you know and all of that all of those experience impact that one moment when you're trying to make that decision too right you remember what happened the last time yep and the time before and when people weren't so kind Mm -hmm. or weren't so understanding and you don't feel like you're in a safe space to do so Mm -hmm. and I really want us to create it, create a society where we all feel like we have a safe space mm-hmm. where seizures and, and epilepsy are as common as far as knowledge as we now think about autism. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I, w- I want to make sure that we bring that to the spectrum of epilepsies, mm-hmm. like that we can, that our population can say that and talk about it. And the response is, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, even yesterday I had a conversation with someone. They said, what's that stat again? It's one in how many people? I said, one in 26. They're like, that's not right. I said, oh, <laughs> thank you, man, for explaining this to me. Um, it is. <laughs> I just happen to be an advocate in this space. I mean, I might know a statistic right. or two. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's like, well, that means people I work with. I'm like, yeah, and you probably don't know it. Yeah. Because I don't talk about it. And, and the last thing they want is for you to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I agree with you and just, let's just talk about it more. Let's just let people know. And also like, I think too, and um, just to bring it back to that moment in the meeting that you had where you were like, I'm just not feeling well. You started noticing some things because I feel like so many people will <clears throat> look at a person who hasn't had a seizure and 
you know, almost 10 years or something and be like, oh, well, they don't really need to worry about their epilepsy. They're fine. They're okay. You know, just because seizures are controlled. And how many times can our community say epilepsy is not just about seizures? Yeah. You know, it's even if you haven't had one in a long time, it's still a management of well, yourself. And remember, um, when I was diagnosed, it was diagnosed around my estrogen levels. I remember a woman of a certain age going through perimenopause. I'm well aware mm. that my hormones are changing again. Right? Yeah. So I'm hypersensitive. Yeah. I'm, and, you know, I am hoping and praying upon prayer mm -hmm. that I don't experience another seizure. But I'm also keenly aware of what causes my seizures and where I am in my life. Mm-hmm. And then we add on 60% of my time in travel yeah, and, you know, scrounging for water. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hope they fix that in the office, <laughs> that water issue. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my colleague was mortified. Oh, like, the next time I showed up, she had like a, uh, the big, like eight, like 48 pack. <laughs> <laughs> a trip to Costco. <laughs> it's like, we will never run uh, out. Right. But um, it, you know, I, I'm keenly aware of that. Mm -hmm. And as we all are, um, when we experience um, seizure freedom, we recognize that we, and, and this is what I really hope for our community as well. And, and what I hope the Epilepsy Foundation can do for our diagnoses is that we can raise it to a level of chronic illness where it can be seen as a diagnosis that needs management mm -hmm. and monitoring. Mm -hmm. People don't think about epilepsy that way, but we think about diabetes that way. Yeah. We think about hypertension that way. Mm -hmm. It's a chronic illness. It needs a lifetime of management and monitoring. Right. As does epilepsy. Yeah. Because anything that doesn't have a cure needs lifetime management lifetime management but again going back to our start of our conversation partnering with your physician yep to have those resources and tools at your fingertips yep. and to be guided through that process yes yes guided it's, it's already scary when you're diagnosed mm -hmm. something's wrong with my brain yeah like <laughs> yeah <laughs> forever right like like yeah uh -huh. How do you fix that? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, well, you know, we, what do you mean? Isn't that kind of an important organ? Right. right. I mean, they all are. Well, not the appendix, but you know. <laughs> but you're, you know, you're already terrified yeah. of what this means. And, and parents of children living with epilepsy, you know, all you want to do is protect your child. Mm -hmm. And so you're all, you're, the first response is like, I have to have the answer so that I can protect my child. Mm -hmm. And some parents will say they don't want to disclose it to other parents or to school oh, or anything yeah. just because of that, again, right back to that stigma that they're yeah. worried their child will face, which I understand. And it's, it's just that, it's like you said, just that balance of like figuring out how to, and something I don't know how to, you know, I don't know, I don't have personal experience with it. I just can't imagine well, trying to find and that. And that's why Caesar Safe School legislation is so important. Mm hmm Yep. So students, children are protected in school mm -hmm. environments. I was talking with a few teenagers when I was visiting Wisconsin. They had a teen track 
in their wellness conference, their Epilepsy mm-hmm. Foundation Wellness Conference. And it was put on by a teen oh, I love who had that. been a part of our Teen Speak Up program. Oh, sure. Yes. And I was talking with them and I was like, well, so tell me, you know, we were talking about stigma. I was like, what, what's your worst fear? What, what, are, you, what are you fearful mm-hmm. of? And they all said, I am, I am afraid that I will be in school and I will have a seizure mm-hmm. and it will be filmed and put on oh. social media. Yeah, I know people that's happened to. It's a valid fear. Yes, and and it, and when they said it, I was like, "Wow, I didn't grow up with that." Right, right. But these, this is what they're growing up with. Mm-hmm. This is a part of their lives, and mm-hmm. they're like, "That's that's what I fear." Yeah. And again, what does it go back to? Lack of understanding, lack of knowledge, lack of education, mm-hmm. with the people that are around them. Yep. And that's why seizure safe school legislation is so important to mm-hmm. make sure that teachers are trained. Yes. To recognize and to administer seizure first aid. Yes. And to and then when you talk about it too, it again just normalizes it. Yes. And you've talked about it in the classroom. Yes. You know, and then it, it, it just like when you start at the higher up as like, you know, the teachers get you know, seizure training, then the teachers or someone is talking about it with students, you know, also as well, like, because we get CPR training in high school, but like, what about seizure training? Someone's more likely to have a seizure. Yes. You know, absolutely. So, and then like, it makes it easier for those students to say, one of those people. And one of those people. And it's like, oh, okay. And then also if that person should have a seizure. Yes. Their students are empathetic to say, this isn't something I should film. Yes. This isn't something I should post. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because I'm knowledgeable. Right. I understand yes. what is going on with the students. Yes. And I'm going to apply my empathy and right. sympathy. Exactly. You know, rather than my cruelness, which those teenage years tend to bring out sometimes. I taught seizure first aid to kindergartners in Alabama. Oh, that is adorable. I'm sorry. It's Little just five so sweet. Year oh. In you know, it's stay safe side. Mm. It's not a hard concept, right? right? These five-year-olds immediately got it. And shout out to my partner in the role play, this little five-year-old. We will see him on the big screen. That's all I'm going to say. I love it. We will see him. He was like, I am all in. What do you need from me? (laughs) Yes. I love it. But, you know, I was like, if I can teach five-year-olds, what to do in the way they correlate if my friend needs help i will be able to help my friend it's just that simple it's that simple if my friend needs help and it doesn't apply to just five-year-olds right. it applies to every you know that that's a timeless thing and when my i was friend there needs help when we did that i was like okay we need to be able to do this mm-hmm. across our society a five-year-old yeah can embrace this and learn it. Mm-hmm. Why are we not making sure that every person understands and is receiving seizure first aid training? Yeah. So that's also one of our goals at Double Funding because, again, until people have knowledge, until they understand, mm-hmm. the stigma is going to continue to exist because the myths outweigh the truth. The myths outweigh the truth. That's so, yeah. Well, that's why, again, I think the work you're doing is starting to bring that scale down. 
you know, we've got the myths, we've got the truth. Okay, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. You know, to really just kind of even that scale between myths and truths. Absolutely. And um, I want to end there because that is just so beautiful. Um, But before we end, I want to ask you four questions that are just fun questions. Sure. Um, Nothing really related to what we've been talking about. Okay. Okay. Number one, what is your favorite book or favorite types of books to read? My favorite book is I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. I've read that so many times. (laughs) I love that book. It was one of the first books that I read Mm -hmm. as a preteen. And I've read it over and over again through the years. Yes. It means something different every time you read it. Because it takes you through her lifetime journey. Mm-hmm. So then you relate to certain parts of her life differently uh-huh. when you read it again. Yep. Right? Totally. So, and plus, I, I just, anything by Maya Angelou, I, I'm just so inspired by. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's just such a raw honesty to her work. Yes. And it it's raw, it's honest, and it's written so gorgeously, yes. too. Like, oh, yes. What? Like, yes. how to achieve that is so, I it's just... You know, one of the quotes I always taught my children is like, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Mm-hmm. It's such a simple statement, mm-hmm. but it is so impactful. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> okay, thank you. Number two, what's your guilty pleasure TV show? Oh, I have so many. <laughs> guilty. What would my husband say? Oh, <laughs> I know what he would say because he would say, I'm not, I'm not watching anyone build or bake anything <laughs> tonight. <laughs> I think that covers it. Yeah. <laughs> so anything on HGTV, anything on the Food Channel, I'm all in. I love it. So like he starts the evening with that statement. Like I am not like, watching anything no. where they're building or baking. I'm like, okay, okay. I guess got to watch another channel. Okay. And then he forgets to say, I was like, well, that doesn't include MSNBC. So I'll just go to the, he's like, no, no, that's only for the mornings. Yeah. I only allow that in the mornings. Yeah. I'm trying to calm down. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, number three, what does it mean to you to be a friend? To be there. You know, um, I have really great friendships that I, I truly value. And the one thing that they all have in common is that we're all very busy with our home lives, with our careers. But when we connect, we connect. Mm. And it's okay. No one ever, none of my friends ever feel slighted when we haven't talked in three or four weeks. Or, you know, I missed an event. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a security in the love that we share. Like a good friend of mine this morning, actually on my way here, um, she's my meme friend. <laughs> You're right. You have those. Oh yeah. Like we just send each other memes all the time. Like we never talk. We just send each other memes back yes, and forth. Yes. Um, but she's a dear, dear friend of mine. And she just texted me and said, I miss you. Mm. And it gave me that moment to be like, I miss you too. Mm. So it's really just being there. Like, and it doesn't mean like we have to talk every day. We have to communicate every day, but if you need me, I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I know that's vice versa. I know it's reciprocal in our relationship. It's like true unconditionality. Yeah. And even it's if just, it's just like, yeah. we're going to sit 
Like I live on this little man-made lake, right? Um, and I have a paddle boat. And, you know, my girlfriends will be like, um, I'm coming over and getting on the paddle boat. And we'll go out to the middle of the lake and drink oh. wine and laugh. Fun. Oh my God. And cry and laugh some more. And then typically, because we can't, I, I still haven't figured out how to quite steer this thing. <laughs> my husband has to come out on the canoe. <laughs> I'm gonna rescue you guys. That's amazing. I love that. We're ready, honey. Like out there. No, go left. Go right. Go left. Um, and yeah, you know, I've talked about him a lot. But you know, my, I'm married to an amazing man. He's absolutely fantastic. But it's so funny. Like I don't even have to make the cell phone call. He like looks off the deck and he's like. Okay. It's time. <laughs> All right. They don't, they can't get back. Yeah. I mean, one time my girlfriend actually fell in the lake oh, and trying to get out. Oh no. And he's like, okay, no more of this. Yeah. He's like, how did you miss the dock? <laughs> like, and, and it's not a big lake. So it's only about two feet, two to three feet um, deep, like at the dock area. Sure. But like she was holding on to the dock. Like we were in eight feet of water. Like she was gonna drop. <laughs> and I was like, just stand up. Right. Just that, and he was like, "Yeah, this is out here making <laughs> just, a scene." You know, I'm on the HOA. Like, you're out here making a scene. That's <laughs> too good. Okay, last question. Okay, number four. What's one self care practice that you have and absolutely love? Because I'm on the road a lot, I'm, I do nothing on the plane but listen to music. Mm. Like all my favorite songs, all my favorite 1990s R&B, hip hop, like I, because I I found myself initially when I would get on the plane, I would immediately pull out my laptop and try to work. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I can catch up on all my emails. I can catch up on this stuff, this PowerPoint (laughs) that I'm trying to put together, right? And I realized like by the time I got, and then I would get off the plane and I go right back to work. Yeah. And I was burning myself out. I, yeah. So Cause there's I, no like resting in between. So now I get on the plane, I put my headphones in mm-hmm. and I just relax the whole trip. And if it's an hour, if it's a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's my self care. It's like, it gives me time because in that, mo- in that moment of listening to music, you know, I'm thinking about, my life. I'm thinking about next steps, but I don't have that pressure. Right. So that's my, that's yeah, my self-care. I love that. That's very restorative. Yeah, and I know it probably seems incredibly rude to the person sitting next to me because I don't engage oh, me neither. at all. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I, say, I, 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 say I used to be that person that was like, Hey, you want to talk? And then once I got up, I was like, Oh, mm-mm. headphones in. I come Blinders. on the plane with headphones. <laughs> like, I just want you to know when I'm getting on the plane. Yes. Yes. I don't want to talk. Absolutely. Yeah. And right. I, and, and I always make the mistake of like, you know, I, I, you know, I love older women. I'm just drawn to them. I'm drawn to elderly women. And if I'm sitting next to one, I, I immediately try to like make sure they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what that means for me is that they're going to talk mm-hmm. to me the mm-hmm. whole trip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you 
know, because my, my parents raised me like, you you know, you're respectful of your elders, totally, right? Totally, yeah. And so I don't feel like I can, like, do the headphone yeah. thing. <laughs> so you're, like, walking to your seat. You're like, please don't oh, let that be mine. Please don't right, let that right, be mine. Right. Please <laughs> don't let that be auntie. <laughs> yeah. Please don't let auntie right. be my partner, <laughs> yeah. right? Because I know I'm not going to be able to, you know, have my moment right. by myself <laughs> if auntie's sitting next to me. Like, I'm going to have to chat with auntie. I can't be rude to her. Yeah, but that... Um, I just really feel like that gives me a lot of peace. Totally. I love that. Well, B, thank you so much for this conversation. Oh, thank you so pleasure. much for being here. And thank you for just leading, you know, the EFA in the way you are. Well, I appreciate that. And, and again, so grateful to have this time with you. It's been an amazing conversation. And just thank you for the work that you're doing as well. Thank you. I mean, lifting up these really important topics for our community where we can find joy in the journey yeah. is so important. Thank you. I appreciate that.